This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 326. Hello, everybody. I am excited for this show. This show is special to me because it is in honor of my favorite person in the whole wide world. Oh, thanks, honey. Yes, it is you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and almost one year older wife, Anitra. <laughs> I mean, I, I am one year older birthdays are kind of arbitrary things yeah i mean i i guess that's true but you know as far as the federal government is concerned you are not yet the age that you will be on wednesday until wednesday (laughs) sure it's just how it works i I officially level up on wednesday the line will be drawn there yeah (laughs) anyway we are delighted to come at you this week our topic is going to be some of anitra's favorite games some of the games that she wants to play right now yeah, it's it's less like all-time favorite and more games that I was going through our shelves and I was like, yes, I really want to play this game. Five games that I really hope I can play in the next week, maybe? So that's like the test, right? So does that mean <laughs> yeah. that episode 327, I better have these five games on the list or else? I mean, I'm hoping at least like two or three could make it on the list. Well, how many do you have? Five. Okay, so we have to do more than half, otherwise I'm a bad husband. I did not say that. <laughs> but I did. All right. Well, it is episode 326. I have a fact about this number. So so remember last week we talked about the Fury 325. Yes. Which is a roller coaster. A roller coaster. And Ross said, that is a great and super fun thing for, for someone somebody else. else. Yes. And my fact this week is a great and super fun thing for someone else. This is something that I think is cool. Videos of this blow my freaking mind, but I could never ever ever jump off a mountain in a wingsuit and that's what our fact is about this week the fastest speed in a wingsuit by a man achieved by chris geiler in 2021 was 326.8 kilometers per hour wow that is over 200 miles per hour in a wingsuit oh Oh, that is brown trousers time right there. That's what that is. <laughs> it was at the 2021 USPA National Championships of Wingsuit Flying in Eloy, Arizona. Okay. Pretty impressive stuff. 326 kilometers per hour. <sighs> yeah, 203 miles per hour. That is banana grams crazy is what that is. And that's my fact about the episode number 326. Okay. Well, I have a message from our sponsor. How do you teach your kids about finances? It's always good to have open, honest discussions with your children, especially if there are lessons you want them to learn. But in addition to that, your kids need the opportunity to practice your lessons while it's still safe for them to fail. Board games are a great source of learning. You knew we were going to say that. Especially engine builders or games with some kind of economy. But more so if you talk through why some choices work out better afterward. Something like, hey, did you notice how I was behind until we counted up the endgame bonuses? A lot of times you have to choose between a few points now or a lot of points later. This applies directly to so many things in life. 
It's also a good idea to give your kids small decisions that they're in charge of that's age appropriate. For example, giving a preteen control over school shopping within a certain budget. It may not go as smoothly as it would if you made the choices for them, but it will give them practice staying on budget. If you want to talk about more ways to teach your children to manage their personal finances, set up a time to talk by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. All right. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring yet another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. So, Andrew, uh, this is the point in the show that we talk about what we've been playing. It sure is. Uh, let's see. A lot more of this is yours than mine, honey. So I'm going to let you go first. I mean, different than last week in that way. <laughs> um, so I had some sit down time with various permutations of children. We played Fluff by Claire's request. It's been a while since that came out. Fluff is an implementation of Liar's Dice that was published by Bananagrams. I believe it is now out of print. It's a really simple game, but much like BS or another bluffing game, you need to know when to play it safe and when to be really bombastic to be able to win this game. And Kids are not always good at that, and that can leave them with hurt feelings, as it did once again in this game. It always seems to go poorly for our family. This kind of like bluffing pseudo deduction thing, it just always happens this way. Claire really enjoys it. Our boys, less so. I think this is maybe one of those games that if she can start getting some other teenagers to play it with her, she'll probably have a better time. Sure, I would buy that. On the flip side, I also played another game of Santorini with Asher. Santorini is now on our new family challenge for 2023. And I am sure we will hit five plays of it by like, I don't know, end of February, early March. (laughs) Next week. (laughs) After that, we played Flashback Zombie Kids, the little demo deck that we've been hanging on to for a while. Yeah, how did that go? I'm actually kind of bummed that I wasn't there for it. It was neat. The demo deck does not actually have a whole lot in it. It's maybe 10 minutes worth of play. And it's really just revealing cards and trying to figure out the answers to various questions. Like, Mm -hmm. where did this thing come from? Or how did this person get over there? And it was fine. I can definitely see how the full game is going to be more interesting because there are more sort of options and things that you can later come back to. Which, even in this little demo, we did kind of go oh, so that's why that person is up there and begin really reconstructing what happened to get to the scenario that's depicted on the cards. Okay, because I did the demo deck solo and I thought it was fine. I definitely didn't feel like I got a sense of the mechanics of an actual game in what I played. Yeah, for me it was interpolating what I had already heard about Flashback Zombie Kids with what I am then seeing, that... If you take what we had there and think about like, oh, you're going to be incentivized to go back and look for new things. There's going to be new gadgets to unlock new things on the same cards that you've already seen. So I think it'll be more interesting in the full version. It was fine in the demo version. So this is the board game version of a Metroidvania game. Is that what you're saying? There is an element to that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I will say that as soon as we finished that, I felt like doing more in that same vein. So we pulled out Micro Macro Crime City and did like four more cases. See, you know, this is really getting to me because I feel like I'm busy every time you play that game. 
every time it comes out, I'm in the middle of something or doing something or working or whatever. Uh, you know, working. Yeah. Like, like you do. I don't know how much is left in that game for you guys to do, but I have done zero of it. Asher and I are maybe two thirds of the way through it. Uh, on the plus side, none of the cases depend on each other and they all have difficulty ratings. So you could still jump in with us at some future point. And then also go back and do some of the easier cases if you were interested. All right. Well, I'm registering my intent. I am putting my quarter on the machine, as it were. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next game is a game that you and I took to a lunch date. Ooh, lunch and date. And this is Hedgehog Hop. So this is a game that uh, was passed to me at the very, very end of Pax Unplugged by a guy named Seppi Yoon. It's Fight in a Box Games. Hedgehog Hop is, I guess, the simplest one uh, of several that we were past. It is interesting. <laughs> um, you are a team of hedgehog dancers, and you're trying to put together the best like dance team with a lead dancer and a bunch of backup dancers. Yeah, pretty much. Y you are... Ugh. You start the game with a hand of cards and there's like this grid of dancers on the table and this is all randomly dealt out. It's not like there's a starting configuration or anything like right. that. And you play the cards that you have in your hand into the grid by pushing them sideways or, you know, up from the bottom or whatever, depending on the arrows that are on the cards. Yeah, it's got that sliding puzzle kind of feel, except the cards you play determine how you can slide stuff around. Right. And so you're trying to match the moves, which are the things that determine how you slide things around with colors and styles to get like the largest contiguous group Groupings. of hedgehogs, yeah. I guess. I don't know. It was fine. This is very much a game where I felt like the first game is a learning game and you're yeah. just oh, trying yeah. to figure the mechanics out. And we're definitely going to have to play this a little bit more. It is a bit of a table hog. Yeah. So that was a little bit tough because we were at a deli. <laughs> Um, the the but, table was not quite big enough for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we played the game and started to get a sense of it, and so now we can actually sit down and play it a little bit more and try to figure out a little bit more of what's going on. Sure. I really felt like there were just too many things at play to be able to marshal them together, but that might have just been an experience. I'm not really sure yet. I think it's one of those games where there is so much that you're trying to keep track of, even though it's a simple game, mm -hmm. that you have to kind of decide that like I'm going to focus on this one thing and then occasionally sort of look at these other aspects and just try to make sure that I'm not absolutely terrible on the other things <laughs> and focus on the one thing. Right. So anyway, so that was Hedgehog Hop. It was fine. It was fine. We might have a higher opinion of it later. Kind of like the next game, which was a game that I played uh, while you were busy, which was Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. We played the Lower Decks board again. And let me tell you, it's still broken. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of broken on purpose, I guess. I mean, is it, though? Because, like, you can't score that high. Like, there's not enough markers to mark your score. To go over a 1,000. To go over a 1,000. Yeah. yeah. And that's what happened. The person I played against, it was his first time ever playing. And I was, you know, shooting ahead fairly quickly on my score. And he's like, what's going on? I'm doing nickel and diming, blah, 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 blah. And then he started to get multipliers and get multiball and get promotion and then get promotion again and then get promotion again. And he did to me what I did to you the last time that you and I played together. Mm -hmm. And he more than doubled my score at, I think he had 1,020 points or something when we stopped, which was a mercy killing because it was time <laughs> to leave. Yeah. 
We still need to play more Star Trek Super Scale Pinball, but I am starting to think that probably the Trouble with Tribbles board is the best one to play multiplayer, and the rest are better suited for solo. I mean, I don't really know about that. Like, the only real problem with playing multiplayer is if somebody gets eliminated and there's still a long way to go. Right. Well, but Trouble with Tribbles actually has some player interaction that you're sending Tribbles over to other people. Yeah, which I appreciate, which I think is great. But I just, I don't know. I really, and I think we talked about this the first time we talked about this game. It seems silly to say this, but this is very much a game that benefits from having an IP behind it. Oh, yeah. It was so hard for us to connect with the first game, even though mechanically they're extremely similar. Yeah. But just the chuckles of Mariner and Boimler and Rutherford and Tandy are so worth it. And I'm really looking forward to the Borg one. I know it's supposed to be super complicated, and you can kind of tell from the back glass board that there's all sorts of crazy crap going on. But I really want to try it. I really want to see what happens. Sure. I wonder if there's some kind of player interaction there as well. I have no idea. I truly don't know. I don't know. Um, And you did play, you played Star Trek Academy or Starfleet Academy, right? I played Starfleet Academy, which is the kind of vanilla one. There's a few minor things you can do, which you would expect. Any pinball table worth its salt is going to have a few things that are interesting and unique. Sure. But some are going to be easier than others. And the Starfleet Academy one is designed to be pretty vanilla and easy. Yeah. I mean, I want to play them all. You know, yeah. uh, obviously, we're going to have to put all of them through their paces before we can review the game to begin with. But yeah. I'm really looking forward to trying all of them out. I like that it's all different kind of time period flavor kind of things. I really appreciate that as well. Yeah, it's really pulling from the whole breadth of Star Trek, like all 60 plus years of it, which is great. Yeah, which any kind of um, collection anthology style thing like this should do. Right. So it's I good. agree. It's good. And then we've got just one more game. Shortly before coming down here to record, you and I and Asher played more Fife. We did. So most of our plays of Fife have been two player. And I mean, they've been fine. Uh, I think that you liked it better after you played it a second time than that yeah. first time that yeah. you played it. But the same complaint that we had with the first game gameplay we had with the second which was we just never seemed to get the shells and so we were really curious if more players meant more shells and And it it did did. it did right although we saw a shell very early in the game and then two shells very late in the game you know what but it was more shells but it was more shells. we needed them (laughs) to play and our scores were not that far apart i think 17 points was the gap between first and last yeah something like that i had 106 asher had 89 so not a huge gap which is good it was his first time playing so yeah that was fife i don't know i like the game a lot it really doesn't add that much time to add another player no because most of the processing time is simultaneous yeah so it did get a little bit more confusing having a third player because it's such a simultaneous play game but it's the kind of game where you could easily start just reaching over and pulling more discs out of the bag without really staying in tune with everybody else Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to be really careful about that to just be like set the bag aside everybody do their thing check in be like hey has everybody done their thing and with three players we had to do a lot of counting up and saying like are we all on the same page here or has somebody gotten slightly ahead 
Yeah, and you know what? That's it. That's all we've been playing. It really hasn't been a lot this week. Hopefully, uh, we'll get back to our game-playing ways, especially since I'm going to be morally obligated to three out of five. Birthday weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am excited for this. So after we record this episode, Asher, our currently 11-year-old, <laughs> soon-to-be 12-year-old, gets to pick any game in the house, and we will sit down and play it with him. And I don't know what it's going to be. I have an inkling. It might be Lords of Waterdeep, which I'm excited about. I don't think I've played that game in forever, even though we have, like, the expansion, and we have the Broken Token insert, and ba 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 There are a couple of heavier, more interesting games that you kind of suggested to him of a, if this has ever sounded interesting to you, your birthday would be a great time to play this. Yeah, so whatever he picks tomorrow, we will play. And I get to report on that next week. And then all of the games that you want to play. I mean, all of them would be great. I will happily take like two or three. I'm going to try my best. Okay. All right. But before we go to our break, just the timing hasn't really worked out for us to be able to announce our giveaway winners for our giveaway that ended right around Christmas. And with it being nearly (laughs) a month later, we are going to go ahead and do that. So... I do want to say that everybody that won, we asked them if it would be okay if we shared their name on the podcast, and they all said okay. So if you are considering entering a giveaway in the future, you will have that option as well. If you elect to not have your name shared on the show, we will not do it. Yes, and we do not share your information with anybody other than possibly mentioning it on the show. So keep that in mind for future giveaways. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to get started. We... Just played Fife tonight. We gave away a copy of Fife, and we gave that copy to Sheremy, who actually lives close enough that I was able to meet up with her and give her the game, saving on shipping. So thank you, Sheremy. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Our copy of The Quest Kids went to Cherry. Congratulations, Cherry. Our copy of Turtle Splash went to Chris Hazen. He actually shared in the Family Gamers community a picture of him and his kids playing the game, which is It was so great. Yep. And our copy of Aldabas went to Sean Snyder. So congratulations to everybody. I have no idea when our next giveaway is going to be, but uh, stay tuned because we like giving stuff away. We'll figure something out. Absolutely. Um... Um, Musical movie. Uh, um, Fiddler Re- on the Roof. Rihanna. She wins. This is a snap review for Anomia Pop Culture, where common knowledge becomes uncommonly fun. Anomia Pop Culture Edition is the newest version of Anomia, designed by Andrew Innes and published by Anomia Press. Anomia supports three to six players, or even more if you use multiple decks, but we think it's best at higher player counts. A game's going to take you about 20 minutes, but good luck playing it. Just one time. (laughs) So, Anitra, let's talk about the art in Anomia. The art in Anomia pop culture is exactly the same as the other Anomia games that came before it. It's very simple. There are multiple decks in the box, each with a different colored back. The fronts of the cards have a central symbol and large text that's readable in either direction. Obviously, the folks at Anomia Press have figured out what works for this style of game, and they're sticking with it. Fair enough. So let's talk about the mechanics. How do you play Anomia Pop Culture? Well, you play it exactly the way you play all of the other Anomia games. Shuffle the cards well and split the deck into two draw piles so every player can easily reach at least one of them. Players grab the top card from a pile and quickly flip it out into their play pile in front of them. Don't look at them first. That's cheating. 
If the symbol on the revealed card does not match any other symbols around the table, nothing happens. But if two symbols around the table do match, or they match through a wild card, it's time for a face-off. In a face-off, the two players with matching symbols each try to come up with something that fits the category on the other player's card. Whoever shouts it out first wins the face-off and takes the loser's card to put in their winnings. Like my Rihanna card. But wait, taking that card may cause a cascade where a newly revealed card matches another card around the table. Quick, can you come up with a word this time? No. <laughs> After any possible face-offs have been resolved, the next player in turn order flips a card onto their play pile, and the game continues. There are also wild cards that may flip out. So, rather than put those in a player's play pile, you put those in a central area near the draw pile so everyone can see. You'll cover up any previous wild cards as well. Wild cards display two different symbols that may now be considered to match and may cause a new face-off. When the draw piles are empty, the person with the most cards in their winning pile wins the game. So, Nietzsche, what did we expect from Anomia pop culture? We have loved Anomia for years, even before we started reviewing games in 2015. So I was really excited to see a new version, although I was a little nervous about what pop culture might mean. I'm really not good with knowing pop musicians and actors. We knew we wanted to play this game with at least some of our kids, too, but we did expect there to be some difficulties with domain knowledge across generations. Mom, who's Prince? <laughs> so let's talk about what surprised us in this game. Sure. So that domain knowledge thing was a problem, but we found a way to embrace it. Normally when you play Anomia, you cannot look things up, but with this game, when nobody knew an answer, it was just a rush to look it up on phones. <laughs> it was fine, and it actually made it a lot funnier. The speed Googling and like, how can I search for this most efficiently? <laughs> One of the kids was talking to their phone. That's not the fastest way. No, just it's so not. Know. It was also pretty eye-opening to see just what our kids didn't know. <laughs> what do you mean our daughter doesn't know who Harrison Ford is? The Han Solo guy worked. <laughs> I guess. It was definitely surprising that our biggest fear turned out to be an asset in the funniest way. So, Anisha, do we recommend Anomia Pop Culture? We recommend Anomia Pop Culture for families who already love Anomia and want more variety, and as a great way to pull in teenagers for a fun party game. Let me tell you, they know YouTubers and Billie Eilish, and I don't. The box is 10 and up, but I think it's probably best to stick with teenagers and adults for this game, unless you're ready to modify the rules for younger players. It's also definitely best at five or more players. That gives enough variety around the table to get lots of face-offs and lots of laughs. I think I might prefer Anomia Party Edition because it has so many more cards, but I wouldn't mind mixing some of the pop culture in for some really funny moments. That sounds good. So, Andrew... What are we going to rate this game? We're going to rate Anomia Pop Culture Edition three and a half categories out of five. And that's Anomia Pop Culture in, in a snap. And we're back. Surprise. We hope you enjoyed that snap review. <laughs> we really enjoyed Anomia Pop Culture more than we thought we would. Yeah, it was really funny. Really funny playing that game. Yeah. But now we are going to welcome the new members to our Family Gamers community on Facebook. Yeah, you thought you were going to hear about Anitra's games? Not yet. You're going to have to hold on to your butts because we're welcoming some people first. So welcome to Joshua. Welcome to Kat. 
Welcome to Felicia. Welcome to Lordessa. Welcome to Price. Welcome to Brianna. And welcome to Lyle. We are so glad you've joined the community. It's truly awesome to see people share and talk. And we had a really great chat about last week's show in the general chat in the Family Gamers community this week. So we were able to clarify some stuff that was unclear on the show. So I highly recommend that as well. But you're always welcome to share pictures of you and your kids playing games or maybe ask for some advice or whatever. There's lots of people in there that are more than willing to share their expertise. We try our best to give you what we got, but we don't know everything. So we're thankful that we have 600 of our closest friends to help you out as well. And you are welcome to join even if you are not uh, parents, shall we say. I know one or two of those folks who joined in the past two weeks are not parents, but they have children in their lives who they like to play games with. Yes. Or they are children who are joining with their parents' permission, (laughs) who they want to get their parents to play games with them. It's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. You know what? Also, it is like not that much more than a month away. So I do want to point out that the family gamers are going to TantrumCon. Yes. So if you like board game conventions, and especially if you live somewhere in the southeastern United States, uh, you could maybe see us there. Greater North Carolina area. I think that's like mid-Atlantic states. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, we're in the northeast, so it feels like it's the southeast. It's going to be a far drive for us no matter what. But if you are anywhere near there and you'd like to meet up, we will be at TantrumCon. So you should come. And maybe you can play one of Anitra's five games that she really wants to play. Uh, Maybe. So should we start talking about those? (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about those games. What you like about them, what you uh, don't like about them, what I don't like about them, what I like about them, whatever. I mean, hopefully not going to be anything I don't like about them. These are all games that I was thinking about and I was like, I really want to play these games and I want to play them soon if I can. Sure. So topping the list should not surprise anyone. It is my favorite game, Imhotep. All right. So we've talked about Imhotep on the show We've reviewed Imhotep the Duel. I don't remember if we actually reviewed Imhotep no, we itself. Didn't. But we came to the conclusion that Imhotep the Duel is a good game. It's a Hall of yes. Fame game for us. But even still, you like Imhotep I much at prefer, two players yes. more. Actually, I think probably I do as well. Part of it is just the tactile experience of building with blocks as part of the game. I really, really like that. Probably more than I should. Sure. Well, and I have to say, getting the mat for this game really helped. Like, I've always been the kind of person who poo-pooed mats, but I feel like I'm saying a lot more like, man, getting the mat for this game really made it a better Uh experience. It really does make it a better experience. hmm, I'm very disappointed in myself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think the games that really benefit from mats are games that might have done well to have a board in the first place. Maybe. Maybe. Like, you can totally play it without, but... It's much easier and simpler to play it when you have a mat showing you where everything should go. Sure. So you talked about the tactile experience to Imhotep. So what's going on in this game for people who don't know what happens? So in this if game? you don't know about Imhotep, you are competing with up to four players to become the best royal builder in Egypt. You are quarrying blocks. You are setting them on boats. And then you are sending those boats down the Nile to specific building projects. One of the catches is that there are four boats, all of which are shared in some way. And there are five projects on the river. So each one of those projects in the main game has like an A side and a B side that works slightly differently. 
but they include things like a market where you can buy little bonus actions and bonus point cards with your blocks. There is uh, pyramids where you're literally building up pyramids and where the next block goes in the way the pyramid is structured gets you a certain number of points. There is a tomb which then scores in a different way as blocks get added. There are obelisks, which score based on how tall they are. You could do all of this without the physical building. You could do it with tiles or with cards or whatever. But I love doing it with the actual little wooden blocks representing your stone blocks that you have quarried. Also, I like games that have a little bit of meanness to them, (laughs) where the meanness is like optional. Not something where you're being forced into it, like, oh no, the only thing I could do is this really mean thing. But just a little bit of, I guess, strategic meanness. So in Imhotep, you can choose either to put blocks on a boat, or quarry blocks, or sail a boat down the river. And if you choose to sail a boat down a river, you choose where that boat goes. And there's nothing in the rules that says that you have to choose a boat that has your blocks on it. (laughs) So you can take a boat that is full of your opponent's blocks and put it in the least advantageous place. Rude. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all the things that I enjoy about Imhotep. It has been my favorite game for a couple of years now, and I don't really see that changing. It is a game that I am always happy to play. I mean, it's a good game. Yeah, I don't mind playing it at all. So that is almost certainly going to come out. I sure hope so. Honestly, if I can get anybody other than you and Asher to play it with me, I'm going to evaluate if it could go on the family challenge for the year. Because I think we could get it played five times, probably. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a reasonable thing to try to do. Yeah. Why don't we just put it on there? And then when we play it for your birthday week, it'll count. <laughs> then as one it'll of the count. Plays. I suppose that I makes like sense. I like it. I like it. This strategy is excellent. <laughs> all right. All right. So the next game on my list is much newer than Imhotep. It is. It is also a Hall of Fame review game. It is a Hall of Fame Family Gamers review. This is Jekyll versus Hyde. Mm. I really just want to play way more of this game. I really, really like this two-player adversarial trick-taking. So has this officially like replaced Royal Visit? Royal Visit just feels very different to me. Okay. I don't know if it replaced it. For me, I would rather play Jekyll versus Hyde than Royal Visit, but I don't think I would say no if somebody asked me to play Royal Visit either. Okay. I mean, because I, you know, as I think about this, I'm like, Royal Visit is a game that requires, it's just a little bit more elastic, I guess. It's like, if Jekyll versus Hyde is ping pong, Royal Visit is tennis. Like, it's just a longer back it's and a forth longer game. Yeah. kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. more back and forthness to it. Jekyll, yeah, Jekyll versus, versus Hyde, Hyde is, is just quick. Very fast. Mm-hmm. Just go to thefamilygamers.com and read the uh, review yes. for this game. It is a brilliant game. Or watch the video. That is published by Mandu Games, distributed by Flat River Group. It's a tiny little game. It's a small deck of cards and a couple of small tokens and a, a little, little metal bust. Yeah. It's great. It's a fantastic, amazing date game. Only two player. It's awesome. It is surprisingly fast, given what you're working with. And yet, this was kind of my introduction to the world of two-player trick-taking games. There are other good ones, but I really like how adversarial this one is, really. I'm not always good at it, but when I'm good, it feels awesome. Yeah. it. I mean, this is a game that feels great to play, almost no matter what. I mean, I guess losing always stinks, right? But it's also 
my favorite two-player trick-taking game. You know, we've played some other ones. We picked a couple of them up on some recommendations, and this one just stands head and shoulders above the other ones for me. Yeah, I agree. All right. That's Jekyll versus Hyde. Now, let's talk about something that's not quite as fast. All right. So I was looking at our shelves downstairs and being like, oh, what is there that I really, really just, I wouldn't say no to ever because I really, really just want to play more of it. And one of those games is Three Sisters. So we've already talked about in the past couple of episodes how you like Fleet better and I like Three Sisters better. And that doesn't even make sense because Three Sisters has so many more numbers in it and Fleet is more symbolic, which normally I would like better. Mm -hmm. Sure. But there's something about the way everything fits together in Three Sisters that I just like a little bit better. And I really, I feel like I want to explore it more in a way that Fleet is good and I like Fleet but I just don't feel like I have as much there to explore and uncover. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Three Sisters kind of has a second layer on it, right? Because it's got the whole farmer Edith moving around piece to it. And it's got the whole bee thing. And it's got the perennial thing, which is separate from the garden, which is kind of like yep. the main piece, which is sort of like the fish piece and fleet. But yep. then you also have all the fruit trees and you have the shed. So there's like a lot of different sections, which is a little bit different from yeah. the way... Fleet works like mechanically the games are extremely similar, but there's so many more different components in Three Sisters that it does feel like it's much more layered. Now, I will say that in about two weeks, we will be getting our Kickstarter copy of Motor City. So I want to get in all my plays with Three Sisters before then. I mean, I've never played Motor City. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. <laughs> but it is the next game from Pinchback and Riddle. It is part yeah. of that whole Motor City game works thing that Matt Riddle talked about when he was on the show, where they want to have, you know, once a year, another one of these super combo-y complex roll and write games. Yeah. And Three Sisters made it on a lot of best of 22 gaming lists as one of the best roll and writes of the year. I mean, it's very good. You know, there's no doubt about that. So... I'm happy to get more plays of that in. I do think it's just more strategic than Fleet. Yeah, I think so. So I think that might be why you like it more. Maybe. Slightly less tactical and slightly more strategic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. I promise that not everything on this list is brand new, but I do have one more that is a 2022 game. Okay. That one is Turing Machine. Oh, I'm shocked. I, I I just, I feel like I can't get enough of Turing Machine. It is a fantastic game. We have talked it to death already. I just want to play a bunch more. <laughs> okay, sure. Maybe we'll try to get some people to come over and play some four-player Turing Machine. Hey, sure. All right. I, we've talked about it so much so recently that I almost don't even think there's anything else to say right now. Well, especially we haven't played it since the last time we talked about it quite a bit. So yeah, <laughs> it is really my thing, even though I expect that I will not always do super great at it the last game on my list is slightly less new and that is endangered and honestly i don't even care whether we play the regular endangered or the endangered new species i want to try any of it all of it yes please well we haven't played all of the scenarios all of the different species correct i mean maybe we should play the monarch butterflies maybe the or latest the, one or the pupfish we could do devil's the devil's hole pupfish. pupfish if you want to something like that oh it'll have to be your choice Honestly, that might be a problem. There are too many <laughs> good choices in there. Yeah. I, I think we should start with the Monarch Butterflies. And if we have time, we'll play something else. That's my All right, opinion. That's fair. But it doesn't have to be fact because it's your birthday it's week. It's my birthday. So, All right. Do you want to talk a little bit about Endangered for people who haven't heard sure. about that? Because we haven't talked about Endangered that much on the show. It's been 
quite a while since we talked about Endangered. However, we reviewed the game back in 2020. So in Endangered, this is a cooperative game. It is, I think, solo to five players. You are all working together to save an endangered species. That involves both trying to make sure that the actual animals don't die out, their habitat isn't completely destroyed, they get together and breed often enough, all of those things. But that's just kind of keeping pace. What you have to do to save them is to influence ambassadors and get them on the side of, you know, your cause for this endangered species. But every ambassador has specific conditions that they need you to meet in order to give you some influence. Through all of this, it's also a dice placement worker placement game. And you can only place a die on a specific action if all of the other dice there are the same or less. So all of this together makes for really complex choices of what to do and how to do it. And it really feels like you're doing all of these different actions in the service of trying to save this endangered species, whichever species it is you're working on. Yeah, one of the things I really like about it is that when you hear, okay, it's a game about saving an endangered species, you kind of like, all right, we're going to go into the forest and do some kind of thing that is represented by some weird mechanics. And this game is completely different from that. It is actually what you might be able to really do. You know, like you and I aren't getting on a plane and flying to the Amazon tomorrow and parachuting in and doing all this like hero stuff, right? Like there's hero games for hero stuff. Like saving an endangered species is something that is a far more kind of systematic thing where you're working through like an economic and political system to affect change at a level that is greater than what you can do on your own. And this game models that, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the roles you can play are things like an environmental lawyer or a zoologist or a philanthropist who mainly is doing things to get more money flowing towards this mm -hmm. problem. Right. You know, or you could be a lobbyist who can do a lot with influence with these various ambassadors. Or you can be a TV wildlife host who does a little bit of everything. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, those asymmetric player powers really do help out with this whole thing as well. So it makes it a pretty interesting game. You don't even have to play with those if you don't want to, like a first time kind of thing. But they're really, yes, really useful. All of these roles have a special player power, but each one also has their own specialized deck of cards, which will influence the kinds of cards you can put down and the kinds of actions you can do well i mean yes yes so they are asymmetric but like you can like elect to not use the powers you know to simplify sure. the game if you want to that sure. kind of thing that's what i meant i see and i also really really love that of all of these different animals that are available so the main game has the sea otters and the tigers but then as we said there's the monarch butterflies expansion there's also the standalone panda bears expansion there's a standalone panda bears expansion yep. and then there's the new species like mega expansion which has five or six more species mm -hmm. in it and there's more i mean they're still working on they're still other working stuff, on even more so the endangered book is not closed but each of these species really is unique it has its own challenges 
and advantages and ways it interacts with the environment that correspond to what these animals do in real life and the challenges that they face in real life. Mm -hmm. And Grand Gamers Guild, who publishes this game, has done a series of initiatives, or maybe it's just one initiative that I've seen pop up a couple of times, that involves giving to some wildlife charities as well for copies of the game being purchased. I don't know if they have to be purchased from a certain place or whatever. So, you know, there's definitely a little bit of the company putting their money where their mouth is as well with regards to the general thrust of what the game is all about. So that's good. So, yeah, so that's my last one because I did try to keep my list to five, but I will admit part of this is helping out at the Grand Gamers booth at PAX Unplugged made me remember like, oh, man, Endangered is a great game and I really want to play it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to push to get some of these games played. None of these are games that are due for review, which is one of the reasons why they haven't been played recently, but they are all... Excellent game. Do you want to run through the list one more time? Sure. So the five games that I want to play right now, or, you know, as close to right now as possible, are Imhotep, my favorite of all time, Jekyll versus Hyde, which is a new favorite, Three Sisters, just because I feel like there's still more I can uncover in there and find out, Turing Machine, I just, I love it and I really want to play it more until I'm sick of it, and Endangered, which has been kind of languishing on the shelf for a while and I really want to dig in and try some of the other species. All right. Well, we're doing this, remember, because it is Anitra's birthday week. So I'm going to be selfish here and say, head on over to the Family Gamers community or anywhere on social media and say happy birthday to Anitra because that will make me happy and it'll make her happy. And that's actually why it'll make me happy. So there's lots of different ways that you can do that. You can head over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube and find us at Family Gamers. AA. You know what? Head over to the Family Gamers community by going to thefamilygamers.com slash community or searching for the Family Gamers community on Facebook and tell us what five games you want to play right now or how you feel about Anitra's list. Yeah, or to wish Anitra a happy birthday. All of the above. All of the above. All in one post. If you want to reach out a little bit more privately, you can also email us. I am Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. And I am Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. It would make me really happy if you checked out some of our Family Gamers merchandise. We have a couple of different designs. I like them all. I think I might own a t-shirt in all of the various designs. There's there's no might. I I think I do. (laughs) And you can find that at thefamilygamers.com slash merch. They make great gifts, although I'm not buying you one for your birthday. Uh, No, I think I probably have enough. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. All the places, really. If you would like us to eat more weird foods for science. You can mail those foods to us. I promise I will do it as long as it is not um, some kind of invertebrate. (laughs) 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 That is where I draw the line. I don't do bugs and scorpions and shellfish. I'm sorry. I I can't do it. All right. Well, anyway, if you can come up with some weird foods, you can send them to us. The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. And we will eat them and talk about them on the show. On the show. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. 
Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. It's time to go play some games, Anitra. I'm ready. All right. So until next week, everybody, play Play games games with with your kids. kids.